It goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air, and that's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. This is deadly stuff. When our very democracy was on the ballot in this election, with the very soul of America at stake, and the world watching, you ushered in a new day for America. And I'm Joe Exotic, otherwise known as the Tiger King, the gay gun chain redneck with a mullet. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Progressive Southern Theologians podcast, a show where two progressive theologians working in the South gather and discuss matters of faith, politics, and other social issues. I'm Mark Boswell, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Jamie McLeod. Jamie, welcome in today to what is not just our usual show. No, indeed. Today is our holiday extravaganza and year-in-review show. So with that kind of a setup, are you feeling the holiday cheer over in Alabama? Are you feeling Grinch-like? Are you... Advent pastor mode exhausted right now. How's it going? I'm certainly the last one of those. <laughs> this Advent, much like this year, has gone on a really, really long time. Uh, now, you know, I, we're doing okay in terms of holiday spirit, all things considered. There's a chance of snow here on Christmas Day, which nobody saw coming. So we're, you know, we're, we, we got our fingers crossed. The boys are very hopeful. So, you know, we're doing well here. Very good. Very good. We just got a touch of snow up in uh, the northwestern part of Arkansas recently. It was really nice to see. I don't think I'd really seen anything like that for the last four years in Louisiana. (laughs) (laughs) Today, dear listeners, we are having ourselves a merry old time and celebrating what's been nearly a full year of sharing the podcast with you all. Uh, We'll be looking back on the absolute roller coaster ride that has been 2020 with, well, most of it being a broken down old roller coaster that's gone off the tracks, but with a few bright spots here and there also. We'll recap some of our country's highs and lows, and we'll share our hopes and best wishes for 2021. In our second segment, we'll put on our theological and pastoral hats and turn our attention to the high holy days that we are in and getting ready to enter in the coming weeks and share a bit about what it means to think through these seasons in light of 2020 and what lies ahead for our country and our religious communities. As always, we'll bless someone's heart between our first and second segments, and we'll close out our show with our regular front porch musings. And before we begin today, as usual, we'd like to ask that if you enjoy this podcast, to please rank and subscribe to the show in your podcast app of choice. And if you want to read more of our written work, please visit our website, progressivesoutherntheologians.com, and also check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you all for being with us this week. Jamie, I want to start today by giving us both something of a shout out for making our way through nearly a full year of podcasting. And we're still going to celebrate the one year mark when it arrives, but we're we're not too far away from it. Uh, I do a lot of the process for organizing the show, and you do a lot of the time consuming and difficult work of editing the show and making the finished product sound good and making me sound a little smarter than I actually am. Um, <laughs> Jamie, shout out to you too, listeners. You you might not know this, but in a, a show that is forthcoming, um, I have a delightful little kitty who 
<laughs> got himself trapped in the bathroom last week and uh, was just mewing and whining the whole time. I didn't know he was, I didn't know what had happened. Anyway, Jamie is a whiz and has been working diligently to, um, as adorable as it would sound, it's still, you know, Jamie's Jamie's doing the professional thing and making this sound good. And he does this kind of thing all the time. So thank you, Jamie, for that. Um, and also just, just how does it feel to look back on almost a year's worth of episodes? Well, you know, this has been something that we've been talking about for a while now. And when we when we decided to take the plunge, I had no idea if it was going to last three weeks or if it was just going to become a new regular thing for us. And I, I know that I have enjoyed sort of prior to podcasting with you, just our long conversations into the night over any number of subjects from hip hop music to Cornell West to, you know, football. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's, so it's, um, uh, I was excited about the prospects of working with you on a podcast. And like, but like I said, I had no idea sort of what to expect or really even how to do it when we first started those, uh, those first few episodes ought to go in the memory hole somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Cause they're, they're, <laughs> they're a little rough as I was learning how to uh, go from just talking and actually producing, uh, producing the material. So it's a, uh, it's been a learning experience, but it has also been in a really, really tough year. It's been a source of joy all year long. I've never felt like this was laborious or something I wasn't yeah. ever looking forward to because it's every time we have recorded, I've been excited to record and excited to have conversations with you. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we took the plunge when we did and I, I look forward to seeing what we can do in 2021. Same here. And I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just say ditto to so much of what you've said um, as well. This has been a lot of fun this year, uh, especially given, you know, the, the era of COVID that we've lived through and that we could uh, process these things together and just continue these conversations like you know, we've been having for a long time. Um, and also uh, the opportunities that we've had to expand those conversations to and to bring guests on the show and to have special interviews that we've included periodically as well. We, uh, we know that um, we we value the sounds of our own voices, but we know that our listeners also <laughs> like to hear other people as well. And we try to do that. And it's um, I have a new uh, appreciation for just how busy people are, you know, like it, it's um, we would bring you all special guests every single week to the listeners. I say this, you know, uh, it, it takes some time to, to organize all these things. And this is a labor of love. Um, Jamie and I don't, get paid for any of this it's just something we're not opposed to being paid for this we welcome a sponsor for real uh uh but uh but uh, it's 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 definitely that and it is something that we've um we just enjoy doing and we enjoy being able to bring in those out uh, other people as well to, to share with you their thoughts and this whole thing started jamie if you will allow me to reminisce for a second with just the idea that there are um I think on a national scale, when people picture or think about the South, they don't always think about progressive religious leaders and communities. Uh, and PST very much started with the idea that, hey, these communities exist and these leaders and these people exist. And let's uh, let's let's share the light and, and spread the spotlight on where this is happening and who and who's doing what. And undoubtedly, there are untold numbers of people that we have have not yet to highlight or form relationships with that are doing great work in the South. Uh, but uh, we, we've been able to tap into our networks and, and just to, to bring together 
um, more voices. And I just, Jamie, appreciate uh, that you have been supportive of that from day one and have been on board. I'm sure that you were one of the first people to respond, not even about the podcast, but about the website back originally. You were like, heck yeah, man, I'm on board. And off we went. So yeah, appreciate that. And uh, uh, yeah, I look forward to the year to come as well. This has been a great, great part of my week and it's work, but it's definitely work. Um, that's worth doing and is enjoyable in the process. And that's a good thing when all those things can line up. Well, this uh, has not been, this has not been uh, just any old regular year, of course, but it's one that's been marked by political turmoil, economic downturn, a historic presidential election, and last but not least, an entire global pandemic. So Jamie, let's uh, talk for a bit about some of your favorite stories coming out of the year and also some of the stories that are have exemplified maybe some of the lower points ultra in our society for the year. Um, where would you like to start today? Uh, anything on your mind? One of the things that I was, uh, when, I, when I was contemplating this question, sort of thinking back to the year, and we both said it, in so many ways, it was a difficult year and and that shouldn't be minimized. And at the same time, one of the things that I'm aware of this year is the the ascension of women into places of power and and finding their voice in a new kind of way, really in, in response, largely, at least in part in response to, to the presidency of Donald Trump. But, you know, just sort of the the ebb and flow of the of history as well has has brought us to a point where we have you know a, a vice president elect who's a woman now the i think the vast majority of voices in the democratic party who are going to hold any sway over the direction that we go are women yeah i i'm excited for katie porter in california i have come around on aoc i've done a whole 180 on her in the last six months or so i you know i'm a huge fan of liz warren Kamala Harris, I think it's going to be great. I just, I, I'm aware that women sort of step into the spotlight and into the breach. And I feel really, really positive about sort of the role that women are going to play just in, in shaping the national narrative in the years to come. I'm with you. Uh, as you're mentioning, that brings to mind uh, one of Biden's more recent appointees to his cabinet, um, the first ever Native American woman to be appointed. Um that's worth celebrating, of course. Uh, all the other uh, instances you mentioned, I, I would uh, chime in here and mention as well the grit and the resolve of uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, as well in the face of just ridiculous um, resistance that she has gotten, uh, mean-spirited and violent resistance as well that she has stood up uh, in face of. I think, uh, I think also of the leadership that's been exemplified by the prime ministers of, of Germany and uh, New Zealand as well that have gotten uh, been rightly lauded and applauded uh, for their leadership in the midst of the pandemic also. What say you, Jamie, about let's let's take this top in a topical way. Um, as we reflect, two of the major narratives coming out of 2020 have been movements related to racial injustice. Uh, we can call it the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I sometimes call it the Black Lives Matter movement part two. That's mm -hmm. a bit of a false delineation, you know, between between what's happened there. But it certainly has risen to prominence in terms of national uh, headlines again in 2020. Let's start there. If you could um, 
if you would recap just a little, share some of the moments that stood out to you about uh, about that. Of course, the the other trajectory here, and we'll talk about this next, has been related to COVID and, and the pandemic. Um, and of course, racial injustice has inserted itself, as it always does in our country, into that trajectory as well. But we'll bracket that for a second and talk about that later. Let's let's look at what's the the events that led up to um, the the resurgence of the movement for Black Lives this summer. Uh, and anything that stands out to you, lots of things, I'm sure, but what stands out to you about that? Right. So one of the, you know, we were, we were broadcast or we were recording the, uh, when the news of Ahmaud Arbery broke back in forever ago at this point, right? (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. That's right. uh, And we really had just very, very few scant details of it sort of and we just mentioned it in passing because like it had just hit our phones or whatever uh, but that sort of set the tenor for the year right mm-hmm. whatever else was happening that day and i don't know that we'll ever fully sort of unpack that it was an african-american dude like jogging through a neighborhood <laughs> and mm-hmm. and the response of that father-son uh duo who who did what they did and the the visceralness of that video i think really touched off something um that of course came to sort of a full boil or full crescendo with the the video of the george floyd killing Uh, you know in between ahmaud arbery and and george floyd and of course brianna taylor sort of in in the midst of all that like there were incredibly high profile african-american killings uh, to a, we've had them really for the entire history of the country, but we, you know, we've sort of been paying attention to them in a real kind of way since, you know, Sean Bell, Trayvon Martin, uh, um, Amadou Diallo, right. Those sorts of names that kind of roll off the tongue now, uh, but they, they sort of entered, entered a new age in which we focused on, the the killing of unarmed black men often by persons in authority whether it be police officers or or, or whatnot uh, but this year so many of those killings and moments came with such incredibly powerful videos that that for a generation that largely looks at their phone and i mean i I'm as guilty of it as anybody, so I'm not throwing stones. But for a generation who who certainly gets most of their information via social media and and through their phones, uh, this was something that could be shared and reshared and and go viral almost instantly. And 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 it was at that moment that that generation, that younger generation, the one that's coming up, maybe a couple of generations after ours uh, or behind ours, uh, really I think found their voice and their power. And and really began to show out in a way that was markedly different from any protests that we had seen, certainly within our lifetime, right? So you had young people flooding the streets of Minneapolis, flooding the streets of Louisville, flooding the streets of Savannah, flooding, right? There was a point at which like every single major city, in it seemed like in the world had a protest going on based around sort of the racial issues that had happened in the country. Uh, and at the same time, you had a president who was stoking those fires, right? Who never never saw a racial fire that he wasn't willing to stoke a little bit more. And so you had this sort of combination of those two things coming together. And the the power just of the imagery of 
black folks and white folks and trans folks and queer folks, all of them just sort of walking hand in hand, I think portends very, very good things for the future. And I, I think that the more that the older generation sort of step back off the stage and allow younger folks to, to, to ascend into positions of power, the better off we're going to be. Because I think those sorts of protests that, like I said, enveloped the whole of the world for a while showed the power of a generation that has been slumbering since it was born largely. And so I, the racial dynamics really, I think touched off a larger sort of movement within a generation that I think is going to just continue to spin out. At least I anticipate that it will. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the global reach of it as well. It's always tempting for us as Americans to think just about how things have played out on our um, national level. But of course, one of the newsworthy and all of it was newsworthy, but one of the newsworthy things was how this reached, uh, did reach this global scale that you've mentioned uh, in terms of movements, uh, marches, protests, demonstrations that were happening in global capitals and cities and, and places all across the country as they were uh, standing in solidarity with African-Americans, both in the United States uh, but also people of African descent that faced uh, and other people of color who face various forms of discrimination in light of white supremacy all across the globe, as that is a global export, you know, that has been spread through histories of colonialism and slavery that has been spread around the world. And so that's um, a wonderful thing there. Um, I also was just reminded of just some of the mixed results of the grand juries and about the work that still has to go on with our justice system. You know, some of the, I, I, I cannot recall all the details at this point, but I know that the things that were coming out in terms of the, legi- the, the legal process and the judicial process for these various cases that we mentioned, Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and others, um, some have played out better, some have played out not as well. So there's still work to be done there. And when I when I mentioned earlier about sort of the the, the I think I just I, I said Black Lives Matter part two something like that, um, and there's um, there's some reason to say that in terms of uh, the years that have passed between 2014 2015 and so and what what has happened now, I do not say that in any way to uh, play light you know or, or play down what the work that's been happening with the the movement for Black Lives and this is what I mean by saying all of this is that I don't know that this summer, the summer would have happened in some form or fashion. I wonder if it would have happened to the same extent and with the same amount of organization, had it not been for all of the years of organizing that the Black Lives Matter movement leaders, various chapters, people who may not have officially been part of the movement, but have been supportive allies and the consciousness that was raised by the movement that it has happened back, you know, 2014, 2015, during those years. Um, that's, that's what, I think that's what social movements are. I think that's how they work. That's how they unfold. The civil rights movement didn't happen in a year or two or three, and it didn't always look the same over the span of years that it enveloped from 1954, 55. And so obviously would back that up even earlier. Um, so it's just, it's encouraging, you know, it's, it, to see this history unfold in front of us and to know, uh, the, it's encouraging and it's also a challenge um, that to, to keep on with the work that's being done because it does matter. Uh, and even when it's not hitting the national spotlight in the way that it has this summer or in the summer surrounding uh, Trayvon Martin and others during those years, it, uh, that, that the groundwork that is being dug during that time uh, can bear some wonderful fruit and uh, later on in a different season and in response to different things. And I think we've seen that play out. This well, time. and also, you um, know, it's 
you talk about sort of the groundwork that was laid, and I think that's right. One of the things that I that I thought of when you were when you were talking just then, think about the different professional sports leagues, and especially I'm thinking about the NBA and the the NFL. The NFL is nobody's bellwether of cultural movement, right? They are incredibly <laughs> slow to change much of anything there, and yet they went from last season finding players for kneeling during during you know during the national anthem and getting rid of those sorts of elements from the field and and then went from that to fully embracing black lives black lives matter mm-hmm. right fully embracing sort of individual expression of frustration and discontent and protest in a way that they never had before the nba is is similar too now it it is a bit more of a cultural bellwether for 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 movement but it too sort of fully embraced it almost immediately. Right. I mean, it went that it was the weekend sort of after George Floyd, they just shut everything down. Right. I mean, it was. And so I think it's, it's worth sort of, you can't go back. Like you can't unring those bells, right? It's not like a season and a half from now, the NFL is going to go, well, you know, we were allowing this now and we were embracing this now, but now we're not going to do that anymore. That I just can't feature that happening. And so we really have sort of, to use a sports metaphor, advance the ball down the field. And I don't think it's going to go back again. Like, I think that that's that we, we've got sort of a new center from which to, to move. And I think that's worth celebrating, even, even though it came at an incredibly high cost. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the more um, comical, tragic comic, let me say tragic comic there. And I'm using Cornell West, um, just, you know, very particular definition, tragic and comic together um, moments uh, related to uh, just the consciousness raising and response to issues about racial injustice comes from, <laughs> it's a long buildup, Comes from one Louis Giglio, James. This is a high, one of the highlights of the show for me yes. this year on the on the funnier side of things. What he said was not what he said was not funny, it, but it, it, the, in the tragic comic way. So Giglio, I'll just set the stage up here. And I want to get your just brief memory about that. Um, Giglio was speaking about matters of race and, and injustice in America, and he was trying to say, "Bless his heart." Um, <laughs> I think we did, didn't we? Uh, Wasn't he the one? Who I'm sure we did. Bless your heart. I think he was. I think he was the one who instituted "Bless your heart." Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Right. So for those, if you happen to, if you're listening, you happen to miss this. So Louis Giglio's big mega church pastor, conservative evangelical guy, white guy, um, who was uh, part of a forum of three or four people on big stage talking about race and injustice to mostly conservative evangelicals, and he is talking at some point about the the fact that uh, the phrase white privilege trips up a lot of mostly conservative white people, that the phrase doesn't always ring very well with them and da 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 So he starts to, off the cuff, he's trying to come up with a, a, a better, I don't know if it's off the cuff or not, that's the problem. He said other, other ways of talking about privilege in language that might ring true for conservative evangelicals um, and he says this in the broader context is something about slavery in particular, because he kind of historically traces back the development of lots of aspects of privilege, economic, socioeconomic privilege, uh, political privilege that comes to white people historically in the United States, going back to slavery and also the Jim Crow that follows as well. Um, and he, he says, 
maybe we should instead of white privilege use the phrase white blessings. <laughs> oh goodness. And of course that unleashed a firestorm. Jamie, just laugh with me for a moment. What were your thoughts about that as we look as we look back this year? Well that that is, if not our most popular episode. It's got to be in the top five since we started recording <laughs> because we, we, we titled it White Blessings. So I think that, that caught some folks' attention. I That was sort of, for me, sort of, he tried. I, you know, I, I think one thing that gets lost is I think he was trying, right? <laughs> he, he was trying, uh, and yet he was missing the mark so, so badly. Uh, I, I probably watched that tape, I don't know, 30, 40 times before the show. <laughs> and I, I just thought, you know, part of it is that Christian language, especially evangelical Christian language, just doesn't have a way to talk about those sorts of things, right? They're so white centric. They're so sort of Eurocentric in the way that they understand the world that when, when that world gets disturbed, especially by racial issues, they just don't have the language to sort of try to tackle that. And so you have people saying things like white blessing. Yeah. I, I, you know, part of my, part of my research is, is in the, the clan and there was a period in the 1920s when the clan was uh, rising sort of for what we consider the second era of the clan uh, that the, the Southern Baptist released a statement uh, decrying the current clan and and lifting up the, the the first version, right? The first era of the Klan, right? The one that terrified black folks and 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 lynched people, and right? They talked about them as being they released statements talking about them as being sort of honorable Southern gentlemen versus this new group of guys. Yeah, and I just I I thought about that when I listened to Louis Giglio talk. Just the the degree to which there's just not a particularly good understanding of racial issues in the country within that uh, religious sect. And the lack of language sort of makes you say things that when you step back sound ridiculous. I just don't know how you, I, I don't know. I don't know how, you, I don't know how that comes out of your mouth. And yet there it was like, it just dribbled onto the stage with uh, you know, him and that, uh, that, 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 that Christian rapper and, and the guy from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Right, <laughs> that sort of captures everything, right? Lecrae, the the Christian rapper, and then the guy from Chick Fil A and Louis Giglio all together trying to talk race, right? And this, the language just isn't there, right? Even from Lecrae, it's not there. And so I don't know. Uh, that was one of in a year of uh, of absolute insanity. That was one of my favorite stories actually to come out because it just. Uh, sort of laid bare the struggles that the church, especially the evangelical church has had and continues to have with racial issues. And I hope that that, I hope that that sort of, once we get past pandemic and are able to have conversations about what happened over 2020, like I hope that, that that informs the evangelical church moving forward as much as it does everybody else. Like I, I hope that they really do sort of sit with that for a little while and, and I think wrestle with their relationship with whiteness and white privilege and white blessing. That makes me think a lot of things, Jamie, on the one hand, I'm tempted to say as someone who grew up conservative evangelical, that 
that conservative Christians don't always have the language to talk about social structural injustices and social sin in that respect. That's that's one way that people can sometimes frame what happens on on that side of the of the Christian family, so to speak. Um, and then at the same time, when I say that, I don't know that that's entirely true because for the last thirty or forty or fifty years, at least that. Broadly speaking, that community has been pumped full of the ideology that there is such a thing as social injustice and that social injustice is weighing down upon them and their community and that they are uh, the victims of liberal agendas and liberal Supreme Courts and secular humanist groups and all of these things. And so there is a sense in which um, many conservative evangelicals do have a sense of social injustice it just looks vastly different than what we mean on the progressive side when we talk about social injustice uh and who are those people experiencing injustice that are that are worthy of attention and merit the attention and that race there is the crux of this because along with uh the way that that community has responded to social issues race has always been one that people have either not wanted to talk about on that side um, or it's been used as a, as a dog whistle, things such as that. Um, but in the absence of wanting to actually truly reckon either, I, I think you have people like Giglio, like your mega church uh, celebrity type evangelicals who aren't like tightly identified with particular denominational bodies. They're kind of out there in the ether as like almost pop celebrities of a, of a sort, like the sort of like non-denominational kind of thing. Like those folks are, I think part of their success has been tied to the fact that they offer an entertaining service on a Sunday and, and, or a television show or a podcast or whatever. And it's not very much tied to politics or social issues at all. And then you have another kind of outgrowth of conservative evangelicals who are very comfortable trafficking in political language. It's just that historically at least, and still present, in many of those factions today, there's just not a great concern about the plight of black people and people of color or LGBTQ people or women in the United States. And so they're, they're, the, the corner, the edges of that get messy and people, some people in those worlds are trying to do some things to be fair, uh, but there's still a long way to go. And like you, I just say all that to give a little more context for how the discomfort of talking about some of that stuff and the lack of language that you very rightly mentioned is, is part of that world. And that's sort of been an ongoing conversation that you and I have had over the year um, as we've, you know, keep an eye on and, and pay attention to what's coming out of those circles. So I appreciate you bringing that up on a similar note. I want to uh, wrap up this year in review with a couple of more conversations. Um, one being, let's talk just for a minute. We're still in the very early days of the Biden victory. Uh, and I will say that for myself, at least in light of his victory, I have um, mentally wanted to go to a place where I just sort of shake off all things related to Trump as like a very bad dream that's happened. <laughs> but I want to bring up a couple of things about Trump. Um, because he's not going away, as we've speculated on our show before. Um, would you share with us, Jamie, I'm just bringing up a couple of highlights. And got, there's there are highlights every single day that Trump opens his mouth and says things. One of the things that happened this year were the, the Bob Woodward tapes. And it was related to COVID. Could you just frame out 
quickly what happened with those tapes and, and their significance. That, that's, a lot of things have gone off the radar, all of the unethical things Trump has done or borderline illegal. What was happening with the Woodward tapes? The, you know, the Woodward tapes were an interesting um, entry into the way the president's mind works, for lack of a better word. Uh, yeah, I, I thought a lot about the the David Frost, Richard Nixon interviews from the what the early seventies when when I was listening to the Woodward Trump interviews um, because Bob Woodward has an ability to get to elicit information from folks and they're almost not even aware they're offering it to him and and, and the president tends to be. Right. So on Twitter, he's very loud and bombacious. And in public statements, he's loud and bombacious. But really, in reality, he's very secretive. Right. He, you rarely know kind of what's going on in his brain. Right. Mm-hmm. And and yet when Woodward interviewed him for like it was a crazy man, it was like nine hours or something like that of, of interviews. When you got that, you really got sort of an inner look into to how he thought about things. And one of the things that stuck out was during covid and and really during the earliest days of covid was he was well aware of the lethality of it and the potential for it to explode and spoke really at length about that with bob woodward and at the same time told the american people you know it's one case it's this one guy out in california or whatever and it's going to be down to zero it's 15 cases now but soon it'll be down to zero right it was always um the sort of running and he still does it right. We're, 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 we're turning the corner, right? We're, we're rounding the corner. He did that for three months on the campaign trail in a row, right? We're rounding the corner. We're almost out of this. And it, it is his, and the way he justified it was to say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to scare the American people. I don't want to get them all on uh, a tizzy. Uh, <laughs> and, and yet, because he did that, one to one because he did that, a large number of people to this day do not think that it is there's anything dangerous about it at all. In fact, a great number of people think it is a straight up hoax yep. cooked up by the Chinese and the Italians and the New Zealanders and the Democratic Party and the media and the right there's this chain of like thirty five different groups that had to come together to form this hoax of this pandemic. Right. In order to get Trump. Right. Right. And Jamie, these aren't just like it's, these aren't just like your your uncles who live out in a trailer out in the woods. Right. right? Yes, these are exactly. governors, legislature, legislators, et cetera. Yeah. Right. So think about uh, Christy Nome in South Dakota or uh, 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 Ron DeSantis in Florida. Right. These are governors. Uh, what's his name in uh, uh, Texas? Uh, right. These are governors who especially DeSantis and the governor of Texas, like these are guys who are governors of powerful, powerful states, right? Big states, states with lots of economic sort of power and heft and uh, where a lot of people live. And, and yet DeSantis to this day continues to not do a whole lot about it, even as the numbers in Florida are spiking. And Texas is almost as bad, if not as bad, Right. And so you have this sort of bifurcation of of states the same way you do during, you know, voting. Right. If you are a traditionally red state, 
you largely thought this was a hoax and did very, very little to, to combat it. And if you were a blue state, you threw on the brakes and did everything you could think of to combat it. And, and because it was Trump, it was set up as a political issue more than a uh, national issue, more than a global issue. And, and for that, I think he should, history should not remember him kindly for a lot of things. That is to me, probably the worst of them that in a time when it was, when it was legit 15 cases, right? It was 15 cases at one point. And, and rather than saying, Hey, let's hunker down and let's, let's get this out of our country. Right. He said, no, no, don't worry about it. Go about your lives. Do what you do. Don't be scared. This is, we're rounding the corner. This is almost, and I just don't think that history should be kind at all to him for that. I think that literally one-to-one people died because of that. And, and I don't think we should lose sight of that. Yeah. There are empty chairs that, sorry, there are in, empty chairs at dining room tables during Christmas meals this year that ought not be empty. That's exactly right. And I, I the, the way you phrase that in terms of what history should remember him for Trump, I, 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 yeah, I think there are, there, are, there are at least two ways to think about that. On the one hand, there are all of the very dangerous uh, ways that Trump has toyed with the norms associated with what it what it it, it 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 what a democratic society needs to operate right and we can say that on a lot of those a lot of those things that he's done in terms of legal issues governing issues governing norms etc those uh, those have real time effects on people and they could they do they could in the future especially those are it, uh, those are not just symbolic, but I'm going to use that word for lack of a better word at the moment. These these are sort of like larger, more abstract, symbolic things that Trump has very much uh, uh, threatened uh, in, in terms of our national health and, and future. And those are uh, those are very important. I think in American culture, we often downplay the importance of the, of the symbolic and of those types of things. And at the same time, what you just brought up is equally important and and takes the danger that we've always known as present that's present in someone like Trump. It takes that danger and does exactly what you said. It leads to empty chairs at dinner tables for these holiday seasons. It leads to actual death um, that we know about concretely. And this is not the first time this has happened with Trump in terms of like the actual, as our great advisor, Dr. Stephen Ray has taught us over the years, like to pay attention to the ways that, that sin and injustice, they materialize in, in physical, you know, physical form uh, in terms of the, the, the damage and the impact that it does to human bodies and families and relationships. And we see that especially with Trump's lack of leadership during COVID uh, and the way that this that, that death has spread unnecessarily so um, across our country and is in a way that we've just not been able, we, that many other countries have been able to get a, get a, a handle on things. Um, Trump has just shown no willingness whatsoever to, uh, to try to do the right thing. Even when he's had many opportunities to do the right thing, given the, the position of leadership that he occupies in this country. Jamie, there's a lot of other things. Obviously, it's been a very, very long year. There are a lot of other things, highs and lows, that we could talk about. I'm reminded, we're not going to discuss these, but I'm reminded of the uh, Trump boat parades, um, <laughs> the golf cart parade at the, the retirement community in Florida. The villages, uh, yep, that's the right. villages, yeah, where the uh, one of the white guys yelled white power and the Trump 
Trump, Trump was that Trump retweeted that that video that went viral. Um, the emergence of this, I'd say it's a weird the Proud Boys, this weird group, the Proud Boys that they've emerged uh, watching that unfold. Uh, Trump's uh, stand down and stand by comment in the debates, uh, which was very much a low, very, very much a low. That whole debate was a low, but that comment especially was and that I, I, that will, I think, be remembered for a long time. Um, one of my favorite comments of that night was when Joe Biden said, will you shut up, man? <laughs> um, Joe Biden was speaking for a lot of us that, at that moment. Wow. I was walking into a, a grocery store the other day and saw someone with that, uh, that, uh, that quote on a t-shirt. So people are, are, you can go find that, go, go Google search around. You can find it on a t-shirt that brought a smile to my face. We've talked the, we talked a lot over the previous episodes too, about the attacks on the scientific community and female scientists in particular, um, the demonization of, of Tony Fauci and also the remarkable leadership of Tony Fauci and the scientific community and what's been just surely a hellacious, you know, nine, 10 months of trying to deal with this, particularly trying to deal with, with it in a political context that has been not very kind uh, to people who have been very diligently working um, and, and uh, to, to come up with solutions and also for medical personnel and essential workers who have had to continue to do all that they do while at the same time having to do with political leadership or lack of leadership that that trivializes all that's happening. And so lots of things can be said there. Uh, we could talk about Georgia getting flipped. Uh, we could talk about the our patron Saint Stacy Abrams and her her leadership and guidance as well, and the the the, sim, the symbolic nature, the important nature of Kamala Harris's victory. We've touched on that lightly. There's lots and lots of things we could talk um, a lot about, and we'll continue to talk about over the coming weeks. But just wanted to highlight those briefly. Um, the last thing that I wanted to bring up, Jamie. Because this sort of uh, this sort of rounds out uh, the way COVID, on a lighter note here, uh, started for many of us as we were first experiencing that uh, those first couple of weeks, you know, being uh, quarantined at home. Uh, there was a particular uh, documentary that came out um, that featured a, a unique cast of characters and some lovely um, felines. Could you tell us about that documentary, Jamie, and and what that meant? to you and to our nation. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had not heard of it when, uh, when I, I was, I was washing dishes sometime in March, I was sitting in my sink washing dishes. And a lot of times I'll stick my iPad on the counter next to me and watch whatever on Netflix while I'm doing that. And so I opened up Netflix and this advertisement for this documentary about, about tigers came out. <laughs> and I, I like documentaries. I watch documentaries a lot. And so I was like, well, I, I'll give this a try. I got about an episode and a half into this. And I said to my wife, this is the most bonkers thing I have ever seen in my life. And it is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really think it was prescient too, right? It, it more than anything I'm aware of predicted the absurdity of of 2020 so so well. Like it just did it perfectly, right? It was that was the most. It was six or seven episodes. It was the most bonkers six or seven hours of TV I watched in years, and yet. <laughs> And yet it was this cultural flashpoint, right? Because it, it was it was exactly what the country needed when it came out, right? It 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 showed the absurdity of life in general and it helped you to uh 
to come sort of to grips with the the difficulties produced by the pandemic and and I just you know there are lots of things to say that are bad about Tiger King and some sure. of the cast of characters are not the best people in the world. I don't think any of them are the best people in the world. <laughs> I will say that's staying power though, because uh, your partner and I <laughs> text links to Tiger King stories like weekly still <laughs> to one another. And so it's, uh, it's had, it's had very good staying power for me and I can't wait to see Nicholas Cage playing Joe Exotic on uh, on the upcoming movie. So, uh, Nick Cage is Joe Exotic and I think Kate McKinnon as uh as the lady. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin, yes. I, I am I'm uh I'm thrilled about this. <laughs> Jamie, I was trying to come up with some of their names just a minute ago outside of Joe Exotic and I just Google searched it quickly and one of the things that two things make me very happy. I mean, outside of all that is Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin, those are, they're their own stories. The second person who comes up for people in um, uh, Tiger King is a gentleman named Bhagavan Antley. I'm presuming I'm saying that, <laughs> which it's one of their tiger loving friends who's had a conversion experience to some version of an Eastern type of, uh, you know, maybe Hindu inspired religion. So yeah, that's right. That's he right. That's consistently right. dating like younger women who are Myrtle beach looking kind of women. Right. That's yeah. That's, okay, yeah. That's okay. Right. I remember that's okay, right. We're good. <laughs> There's Kelsey who lost her, their, their arm. There's, my favorite, Howard Baskin, Carol's <laughs> second husband, at least second husband, who posed. I think this was one of the highlights. I mean, the whole show is full of highlights. One of the highlights is their wedding photos between Carol and Howard. <laughs> when Howard, if you remember, it's this very demure looking, like he's a mix between Prince Charles and Mitch McConnell. It's just, <laughs> yes. He's somewhere, but he's posing in these. Um, Tarzan, George of the Jungle onesie kind of yes. uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, gracious. Wow. Uh, yeah. So tip of the hat uh, to borrow from Colbert uh, and, and hats off applause to the cast of Tiger King. What a story. What a year. Jamie, let's wrap up this. Se- there is no suitable way to wrap up this segment. There really is not. We'll wrap it up with them. <laughs> Jamie, we're moving along now to our bless their hearts portion of the show in which we muster all of our Southern passive aggressiveness and bless the heart of somebody who's recently appeared in a less than favorable light with the caveat that we always also reserve the right to bless someone's heart in a genuinely positive way if we should so choose. So, Jamie, whose heart are you blessing today and why? Well, Mark, I think that... uh... You know, you and I were texting back and forth, and I, I said that I was sort of on the fence about this. I think I'm going to go with a repeat uh, receiver of our, our blessings. Um, <laughs> I want to bless the heart of one Tucker Carlson, who, to my mind, has not yet found the apex of being a terrible, awful, no good, very bad human being. <laughs> <laughs> like every time that I think he's sort of up in the meteoric kind of atmosphere, like he finds the next level, right? He's able to take it up to the next notch, right? He cranks it up to 11. Anyways, <laughs> so this was in response to um, to the, the, the column that was written in the Wall Street Journal 
earlier this week about uh, Dr. Jill Biden and her uh, her research and the author's belief that she should drop the the doctor from her name uh, because all she has is a doctorate in education. <laughs> now that guy was rightly excoriated for, for what he said. But, you know, if you had given me a multiple choice test and said, now, which one of the people on the Fox News channel <laughs> is going to come to his defense? I would have gotten this a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> so, Tuck- <laughs> so Tucker Carlson uh, evidently was able to dig up a copy of Jill Biden's dissertation and I guess declared her to be borderline illiterate, not very bright, having typos everywhere in her dissertation and having the same degree as Dr. Pepper. We have agreed early on not to cuss on this show. And so I want to, to, I want to honor that agreement. And yet at the same time, (laughs) Tucker, man, he is, he is one of the worst people I I've ever encountered. Like he's, he's like, comic bad guy bad <laughs> and he needs he, yes, this holiday yes. season this this advent season this christmas season he needs jesus more than anybody i've ever met and so i want to say to tucker carlson bless your heart please 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 find jesus during this this time of new birth in in our in our world <laughs> yes indeed uh, I want to I want to, to speak to that the 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 idea of cursing uh, on the show. Now that it's related, but it's on my mind. So for our listeners, one of the I mean, if any year merits uh, us cursing continuously, it's been this year. So for sure, um, Jamie and I feel your pain on that and resort to that type of language um, in, in in private circumstances and settings, but. I mostly, Jamie, one of the reasons I brought that up as an agreement was just, I don't want to have to give one of those um, provisos at the opening of every show. (laughs) (laughs) If if your children are close to your smart speaker right now, you may want to put their earmuffs on. (laughs) Right, right. Who wants to do that every single time we record? Yeah, it's just easier. Yeah. But but otherwise, that's what would be happening if you were closer to, uh, you know, to if you were having a drink with me somewhere. I actually had a friend, Jamie. Uh, I, I think I've I think I cursed so much that he heard me give a presentation somewhere and he doesn't hear me on a professional front very often. He actually said, like, wow, you were really polished <laughs> and professional. And I'm like, <laughs> I thought, hey, man, of course, of course, I know. I know, I know my audience, right? You know, sure, sure, sure. Anyway, uh, Jamie, for this week, I'm going to bless the heart, and I got this. I got this article. This is a New York Times article. I haven't pulled up, and I want to get all the some of the de- the details right. I'm blessing the heart of the entire state of Wisconsin and their Department of Health. I feel like the South gets a bad rap for some of our uh, unique cultural cuisines that are less than, uh, appetizing to, to folks, you know, elsewhere in the country. Like, I don't know, they, not everybody in the Southeast is stuff, of course, but like chitlins or pig feet, frog or, leg. <laughs> um, okay. frog legs. Yeah. All these types of things. So there is a story that's come out this year that, uh, apparently, and I would, I would imagine the same kind of nuance is true for Wisconsin. So to be fair to Wisconsin, but apparently there are some people in Wisconsin, there's some sort of a, a holiday tradition of eating 
these sandwiches, the New York Times article calls them cannibal sandwiches that features, to use the language of the article, raw ground beef that is often seasoned with spices and onions and served on bread or oh a cottage. The sandwich has somehow gotten some attention recently, such that the U.S. Department of Agriculture and Wisconsin health officials have had to come out and make like public statements about the hazards of eating these types of sandwiches, which are also called tiger meat. Uh, yes, or yes. Wild okay, cats. I had heard this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, not to preview the new year too much, but our good friend and former resident of the state of Wisconsin, Eric Weed, is going to be on the show early on in, in January. We, we we need to get him to confirm this. <laughs> I that blows my mind. Yeah, we got to get him we talking about this to. stuff. Uh, it says other other people have compared it to ludicrous. <laughs> this was like some Scandinavian-based dishes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure ludicrous is cooked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So anyway, these uh, so the Department of Health has had to come out recently and just remind the residents of Wisconsin that eating raw meat has the potential for contamination and that one should be cautious <laughs> when eating this because of the dangers around uh, E. coli and other types <laughs> of things. Um, and the last I'll say on that note, as I bless their hearts is that we eat some weird Whoa. stuff in the South, man, but we cook we, it. We cook it. We, cook we may it. fry it, but we, it definitely gets cooked. I might drop dead of a heart attack by age 48 because of fried foods that I've eaten, but it's cooked. It ain't raw. So, Friends, uh, thank you for being with us as we blessed some hearts this week. Uh, please remember that if you ever have suggestions for whose hearts we should bless, uh, if you have any kind of weird, quirky stories like this, please let us know. We'd love to share them, too. Um, let us know on Facebook or Twitter. We would, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Jamie, we are going to have... Uh, a slightly abbreviated second segment here, but we want to kind of uh, continue on with the theme of wrapping up um, the, the, the year. And we uh, want to give credence to all that the, 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 the religious communities and, and traditions that are happening right now, whether that be Hanukkah, um, Advent and the Christmas seasons with the Christian tradition, Kwanzaa is coming up and people are, 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 are celebrating and that this is certainly a, a highly symbolic time for folks as they are trying to make sense of what's been a difficult year and difficult seasons of life. And those traditions uh, all speak to um, sort of deeper seated ideas about hope and, and, and finding joy and, and what we uh, liked, you know, breaking into a dark world. And I think especially if you're a progressive person or, or somebody who leans, you know, left of center, yeah, you could certainly see that there have been instances of light for us breaking into the world, whether that be through presidential politics or I think we should theoretically, everybody should be able to celebrate the fact that the first vaccines are rolling out this year related to COVID. I'm sorry, this year. I mean, this week we're starting to see some of the first vaccines be administered. Uh, and so there are lots of good things that are happening there. Uh, we're not going to talk uh, as much about that because we've had such a robust and fun conversation in our first segment. Um, and we're going to continue on that lighthearted spirit here. Um, let's talk about, um, 
let's talk about some favorite. Uh, this is just to kind of get to know us a little better segment here. Let's talk about some of the favorite family traditions or memories that uh, Jamie, that you have around the holiday season. Christmas time was always and still is a big deal for, for my family. Uh, when, when we were younger, it was one of the only times that both sets of grandparents sort of all got together in the same, the same space. And so those were, those are, and still are incredibly happy memories for me. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, of traditions, you know, I was thinking about that earlier, so many memories around church and, 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 and holiday celebrations around church. I think about the music programs that we put on when we were uh, when we were at a church that was big enough to have five choirs all on stage at once. I can still sort of hear those ringing in my ears. Uh, you know, in terms of family traditions, we enjoy one another's company. We enjoy opening presents. My dad playing Santa Claus, handing out presents. You know, I, I remember <laughs> the two sort of two Christmases that stick out for me. The uh, the first is uh, when when I transitioned from a BMX bike to a, to a ten speed, because I remember coming out to uh, to the to, to the living room on Christmas morning, and it, it you know this uh, th- this bicycle shaped package, right? You can only wrap up a bicycle but so many ways. Being there, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those freak years because for some reason there was ice on the ground, and I begged my parents to let me take it out to. Uh, to, to just ride around briefly. And so I, I rode down off the driveway and it was at that point that muscle memory kicked in and I tried to hit the brakes by pedaling backwards to stop and realized that I could not do that and ran slam into the curb in front of me and then went flying down. Oh. <laughs> there was that one. The, the other one that, uh, that I remember that's sort of part of McLeod family lore is I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 and, and, and Santa Claus, uh, brought us, uh, a trampoline, uh, one of those big, like 16 foot diameter sort of trampolines. And, and to hear my dad tell it, he came back from like the late church service and sat up all night in the cold, pulling springs and, you know, building this whole like trampoline by himself so that he could have that moment, you know, on Christmas morning. And and he has never let us forget that. (laughs) So every Christmas, you know, no matter what anybody gets, it pales in comparison to the year we got the trampoline and my dad sat up all night in the cold, pinching his fingers in springs to put it together. So we had that aha moment on Christmas morning. (laughs) Jamie, I love that. Um, it's sort of like it's almost like a big fish story yeah, in a way. Yeah, right? no, no, exactly. yeah, no. It's gotten <laughs> it, it, it's a whopper by now. <laughs> that is lovely. I I just um, Christmas was always just a very special holiday, as it is for lots of people and families. But for us uh, in the Boswell family, it very much that was the case. And my grandmother. Um, on the my dad's side um, has passed away about 13 years ago or so, but we would always spend Christmas Eve with her. And uh, we were a very small family on that side. There's my brother and I are the only children, grandchildren. Um, now there's great grandchildren at this point, but we were the only grandchildren. Um, my dad had two siblings, but they um, did not have children. So it was just a very compact uh, type of family experience. And we were certainly spoiled, of course, as, as little boys. Um, with no other cousins, you know, to share that with. And 
but I just remember those nights of uh, kicking off Christmas in that respect and going down to my grandma's little farmhouse that she lived in. We would all pile into one of the family rooms after dinner was over. And I can remember, you know, after, after we'd eaten dinner as a six, seven, eight year old boy, like those are the, what was probably 30 minutes of like cleaning up the dishes and putting food away. It felt like an eternity because we were waiting to go in and open presents and kind of start the, the Christmas thing off. And, and I say that partly, I mean, I opened this segment talking about Advent a little bit, and uh, I, it was strange for me when I got to seminary, which is a Presbyterian school, um, and I began to see that for many mainline traditions, I grew up, as I've said already, uh, conservative evangelical, but for many mainline traditions, the Christmas Eve service isn't a very important um, service, both for families and also liturgically. Um, and that was not part of our Baptist culture at all um, in Eastern North Carolina for those the, the groups of, that I was with, or the, the church that I was a part of, and, and churches, the broader family of churches that I was a part of. Um, and so I, I never had that experience growing up of like we always would do, you know, like there was there was no there were very few people that I knew who would go to a Christmas Eve service on a, on, on that night, and so that was absent for us growing up. Um, and that's neither good, bad, or indifferent. It's just, it just is what it was. Uh, but so Christmas Eve, at least for me, always harkens back to these like very close family experiences, good food. One of the dishes my grandmother would always make was macaroni and cheese. It was like a casserole and she would mix in sausage into it, which why not? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, she would, when my grandmother would make this dish, this is jumping ahead a bit. Um, and I didn't mean to do that, but when she would make this dish, my grandmother, the way she would always make it was that she would leave it in the oven for far too long and really burn the top of that macaroni and cheese casserole with the sausage. And over the years that became, that's the only way I had it. I just, I loved it that way. It was just always burnt, just the top part. So it just was this crispy, almost caramelized, but slightly (laughs) sootish type of thing. And I remember that after I'm going down a rabbit trail, after my grandmother passed away, my mom would take to cooking that dish um, some. But my mom, unlike my grandmother, would never burn the dish because she, you know, she proud she she prides herself on being a good cook and she would not burn it. And I remember some of the first times we had that dish. I didn't like it very much because it wasn't burnt the way my grandmother would burn it. So anyway, when I think about that dish, that that's one thing that makes me think about her and those uh, those those Christmas Eve gatherings when we would often have that. Uh, and so I remember that and, and being cl- w- with family and just um, it was just a very magical time. And it breaks. I, I know that there are, are many people for whom the holidays are not always happy times, and and that breaks my heart. And and I'm glad that there are spaces that we can create as pastors to sort of be in solidarity with folk um, who are not having the, the best of times during the seasons like this. But I was very privileged and very fortunate to have a lot of good memories around that. Um, speaking of food, Jamie, I've shared one of uh, one of the cuisines, uh, if we could call it that, that was special to me. What are some other, uh, what are some things that are on the Christmas menu for you all? Or what are some things you've enjoyed in the past? Because yeah, again, we're Absolutely. Southerners. We love to eat sure. and we take pride in our food. Right. So yeah, one of the things that, uh, that was quintessential sort of McLeod, uh, <laughs> McLeod, uh, holiday eating was, uh, when my grandmother McLeod was alive, she, uh, Every it, it didn't matter what the event was, but it was certainly you know, for Christmas. 
Christmas dinner, she would make what she called smile salad. And it was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is a thing that other people have heard of or not, but I don't know if this was a Sally McLeod original or if, you know, if other people heard it. Anyway, so it was, uh, it was cottage cheese mixed with crushed pineapple mixed with, uh, orange jello, uh, jello powder, uh, with coconut and, and she would take mandarin oranges and make a smile on the top, on the top of it. Right? <laughs> and she called it smiles out. And so <laughs> that my, it, the responsibility of making that passed on to my brother after she, uh, she passed on and a few, few years later it began reappearing at, uh, at the McLeod family table. Uh, and so that's, that's one of those. The other thing that she used to make was she would make her own homemade mayonnaise. And, and one of the dishes that we would have would be hmm. homemade mayonnaise with just big, like sliced beefsteak kind of tomatoes. And, and, and I, re- what I remember salmonella and trichinosis and that sort of thing didn't exist right <laughs> in the old South. Right. And so she used raw <laughs> eggs and it was, I mean, it was the bomb. It was good. Uh, I, looking back, I'm like, how, how did we not die? <laughs> the other thing I should say is that uh, she, she made a pineapple upside down cake for my birthday and for Christmas that remains my favorite dessert item and you know it it, Mm. it's largely woven and sort of with my my love for her to be sure but 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 other people have made it for me in the current sort of iteration of my life including my wife and hers is you know very very good but that's what i think about when i think about holiday meals is not you know we had sort of your standard fare of turkey and ham and green bean cats but what i remember is the smile salad and the pineapple upside down cake uh and the, 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 the raw mayonnaise and, and sliced tomatoes. So that's, <laughs> what about for you? <laughs> well, I, I've mentioned the, the macaroni and cheese casserole thing. Um, we would do standard fare too. I mean, for yeah, a lot of fried chicken, a lot of ham, a lot of things like that. We, Turkey was never really big in our family. Um, we would do it at Thanksgiving, but not, not really any other time of the year than that, but yeah, it was a great opportunity to fry up some chicken or, or, or have a ham. Like usually my aunt would bring a ham and my mom or grandma would fried chicken. So we would have both of those things. Um, one of the, th- <laughs> this is not a f- uh, food related issue, but it is a drink related issue or, 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 facet of my holiday memories. So I grew up in a teetotaler household. My mom and my dad did not drink alcohol. They did in their 20s before we were born, but they opted not to to drink around us when we were, uh, my brother and I were children. They still do not to this day. Uh, and there's some family and personal reasons behind that, but they did not. And so, and it was conservative evangelical culture through and through. Uh, a lot of the, you know, I was part of a church where that was very much frowned upon alcohol consumption and uh, morally speaking, and I mean, people still did it, <laughs> but, um, it was, you know, it was kept off the, it was, it was pretty well hidden and, but not a lot of people in my, uh, the, the adults who were in my immediate life never drank around me, you know, as a, as a child of in get togethers or, or things that my parents would do with their friends or what have you. But the exception to that was Christmas Eve. Um, not for my parents, but for, I was, in terms of being around people, my, my, I have two uncles on my dad's side of the family, uh, one who married into the family and another is my dad's older brother. And they would get sloshed on Christmas Eve 
<laughs> and uh, it was it was my only exposure. Really, think about like naive, innocent seven year old little Mark. Like I I was just not around that ever at all. And they were such happy drunks. And I'm not making light of alcoholism or anything like that. So don't don't think that if, you, if anybody's listening to this. But they were such delightful and such happy drunks. And they promised us the world as the only two grandchildren in the family on that side. And we're just so much fun. and so just ridiculous, really. And I could tell stories for days about all the things they would say or get into or do. And we would have these card games that would go on into the night. And it would just... They would, uh, they would just, my, my grandmother who could, she consumed a lot of alcohol as well, but she, she was very playful and she always, um, she always loved her rib and to joke and to kid. And she and my uncles would just, they would just have a blast and, and do all of that. And it was, um, it was a unique time in my life. And I didn't, most of the time I was oblivious. I didn't know what was in their cups. I just knew my uncles were having a lot of fun and they just said that's how they always were so um anyway i know that's not everybody's story but i just uh i'll i'll always remember that and uh and we they they have um they have both since calmed uh some of that those aspects of their lives down a bit now that they're in their you know older older ages respectively but um those were always just very uh, just different and and just sort of enjoyable times. So that's that's what we were doing when we were not at Christmas Eve services. <laughs> but I'll always remember that for sure. Jamie, I wanted to um, we've obviously we're going to have a longer show and that's just fine. I wanted to close out this last segment with just giving a, uh, a shout out to um and and do a little memorializing here for some of the many uh celebrities musicians uh others who have passed away this year let's let me first say that there are there are as you we talked about in the first segment there segment there are way too many people who have passed away this year due to covid and covid related reasons um and we certainly recognize the the value of their lives and the pain that's related to those deaths and 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 what have you and at the same time, we're going to mention some of these cultural figures, you know, who loom large over uh, shaping our, our the, the life that we share together as a country. Um, we're going to talk about some of them uh, now, and we won't go into great detail, but I just wanted to, to take this time. As this is probably our last show of the year, I wanted to take some time to, to memorialize them and to bring that up. Um, uh, Jamie, just take note uh, if there's a if there's a name or two that you want to, to, to circle back to and, and mention after I read through these. Uh, we certainly can. Uh, to visit those one one more time. Uh, the first we've talked about this this individual uh, a lot on our show, but that is the musician John Prine, who's passed away. Uh, we certainly recognize him. Charlie Pride, country music musician, African American man who broke boundaries there, also just passed away very recently as of the recording of the show. Um, David Prouse, um, whose name I could not have told you prior to this, but he is the person who played Darth Vader in the Star Wars movies. He didn't voice Darth Vader, obviously, but he's the person who played Darth Vader. And I met him at a KB toy store in the Wilson Mall in Eastern North Carolina one time. And I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> I was like, he doesn't sound anything like Darth Vader. And my mom and dad had to explain that someone else voiced Darth Vader, not him. So, um, of course, another person we've, we've talked about a, a lot on the show as well as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, who's passed away in the back around September. 
uh, Alex Trebek, you know, who's, who we all grew up on, or or if they were adults, it was just always part of the, sort of the background of, of our lives. Alex Trebek, Sean Connery, Eddie Van Halen, uh, Kobe Bryant. That seems like five years ago, right? Kobe Bryant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like Kobe passed away ago. pre-COVID. Um, you know, tried very tra- He and, and his daughter and, and others uh, passed away in a very tragic helicopter accident. But we remember Kobe, uh, Kirk Douglas passed away. Kenny Rogers, Chadwick Boseman, star in Black Panther and other films. Little Richard died this year. John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, um, Regis Philbin, uh, C.T. Vivian, civil rights leader, icon. Naya Rivera from Glee. Wilford Brimley who if you had asked me if he was still alive, I wouldn't have thought that he was. <laughs> this man was, this guy was struggling I with agree. diabetes in like the eighties or now. Oh, he was the spokesperson. I'm joking there. He was the spokesperson for diabetes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It seemed very, very, um, he seemed uh, very grandfatherly in the late eighties, early nineties, but he, he, he persevered. Um, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, so RIP to Jerry Stiller, who passed away as well. Um, and as I've shared on the show as well, uh, I'm a big, and this goes with being Southern, I'm a big fan of wrestling. Um, there are three, I'm gonna, there's a reason for these. There are three gentlemen who passed, there are many others who passed away from the wrestling world. One is La Parca, uh, who's a, a luchador, Mexican wrestler, um, who was. He's oh, part of a so part of a wave of of, uh, of luchador Mexican wrestlers who broke into the United States context in the '90s or so. I grew up watching La Parca. Uh, he was a big star in Mexico, and uh, he and others um, uh, sort of broke some barriers there in in a major promotion in the United States. And so La Parca is remembered. Pat Patterson, another name that not everybody might know, but Pat Patterson just passed away. Uh, Patterson was a big star back in the '60s and '70s or so. Uh, he was one of the few openly gay men in the wrestling world. And again, it was open, it was known, and he continued to have a tremendous career. Pat Patterson has played, if you've heard of the WWF, Vince McMahon, WWE, Pat Patterson has been McMahon's number two guy, one of his, you know, uh, one of his uh, high ranking officials for a long time. And so while he's had a more behind the scenes role for the past 30 years, um, he has appeared on, on television occasionally, but Patterson just passed away. But again, that barrier that he was breaking there in terms of making room in the wrestling world, which again, we don't always turn to as being moral exemplars. <laughs> there, there are the, the people who got, who got our moral compass. The wrestling community is not that, but Pat Patterson has done important uh, work there. His legacy to, uh, should be remembered. And lastly, Rocky Johnson passed away. Who's the father of the rock. Um, but Rocky, Rocky Johnson uh, broke right. some racial barriers as well um, back during the 70s and 80s. So we remember him. And, and there are way too many people. Um, this is just a, a cursory glance at, at some of those names. Um, but we wanted to bring that up as we're closing out uh, the show. Jamie, any anyone else? I know a lot of these people hit close to home for you. Anyone that you wanted to discuss a little bit? And I'll let you have the last word um, here. Well, sure. You know, we, we talked about this when it happened, but John Prine was obviously huge for for both of us, uh, just in terms of our musical trajectories and what we listened to. Yeah, the other one that I would lift up would be Joe Diffie, who uh, passed away early on in the the COVID uh, pandemic that we've been in, uh, and and just how 
how important his and sort of that nineties country music was when I was, you know, in high school and going to concerts at the Cumberland County Civic Center. And, you know, it was, uh, so those are the two that I, I think about Eddie Van Halen was, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't, I honestly, I'm surprised he didn't die earlier because he'd had cancer for a while and he was never the healthiest person in the world. Uh, but he, I, I remember being very affected by that more so than I thought I would be, uh, just because Van Halen, I mean, for any kid in the eighties, Van Halen was the biggest band in the world. And, and so I think about that. I did not know little Richard had passed, which is, uh, you know, that kind of thing gets lost in the, in the, the shuffle. Uh, but so that, that, that's a surprise to me. Yeah. You know, music wise, it's been a, a really, really hard year. And, uh, and I hope that next year, uh, it, the gods go easier on us than they did this year. Absolutely. Thank you. Jimmy. Imagine, Jamie, that you are just finishing up the wonderful smile salad that you have described for us already. You've grabbed a beverage of choice and you have headed out to your front porch to, uh, to enjoy and to think about the year. Uh, what are you musing about as you're out on your porch after just having recently enjoyed your smile salad? Mark, you know, I want to just take a minute, I think, to lift up all those folks who over the past 10 months were designated essential workers, but who really sat on the front line of, of, of COVID and, and taking care of the nation, right? So the medical staff to be sure, and they, they deserve all the praise that they can get. But I also think about the guy who, you know, jockeys the register for seven twenty five an hour, right? The guy who it sits at the gas station and exposes himself, herself to, to, to the chance of getting sick, uh, a lot of folks who economically aren't particularly high and a high rung, and yet they showed up every day for work and made sure that we had food and we had gas and we had our trash picked up. And, you know, I, I can't say enough about the way that those folks who, again, we almost never even think about put the nation on their backs during certainly during the, the shutdown, but also just for the last 10 months and put themselves at risk to make sure that we had everything we need as a nation. So I just want to shout those guys out. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my, um, my musing today is at a, a much more granular, granular level. Um, I've um, spent a lot of the year. I think one of the ways that I deal with my emotions is through music. Um, which is part of our ongoing conversation about music on the show. And I can't, I, I've one, I've been a fan of Judy Garland for a while, particularly because I always loved uh, the wizard of Oz growing up. Um, second within the, at the, probably at the beginning of this year, I watched the film called Judy, uh, in which Renee Zellweger uh, portrays uh, Judy Garland in the la the later years of her life, which were tragic. Um, and she dealt with alcoholism and, other types of substance abuse. Um, and it's just a, just a sad chapter um, and to see, but with, with some moments of triumph as well, but there's a, uh, all that to say, I've, I've gone back and have listened to a lot of uh, Judy Garland over this past year. That is not just um, the wizard of Oz, you know, that type of thing. And I've just had a different appreciation for her life. 
but I came across a song, a, a, a one of her live performances of Over the Rainbow, which is a hopeful song, right? And I think the one that, that, that can be inspiring. Sure, yeah. Uh, this is a live performance. It's uh, near the end of her life. It's on the, if you're looking for this, it's on the Essential Capital Collection. That's an album, uh, the Essential Capital Collection. You can find this live version of Over the Rainbow. And Jamie, it just makes me weep. It brings tears to my eyes. There's a, mm. there's a moment, uh, both at the beginning of the song, when, when her voice is just a bit raspy and, and, and cracking. And then towards the end, if you listen carefully, you can hear her breathing. It almost sounds belabored um, and the, uh, almost like she's catching her breath. Mm. It's just a bit ragged. And then she launches into the final part of that, of this you know beautiful song over the rainbow, just launches into the final part of it and finishes it with such power and, and poise and grace and hits all the notes. And it's just blows you away what she could actually do with her vocals. Uh, and, and that, both knowing the context of her life and that she was towards the end of it there. And also just what a powerful person she was uh, in spite of all of the things that she was wrestling with and struggling with is just a tremendous thing. And I've been, I've been thinking about that song a lot the last couple of days and I want to lift that up and also check out the movie. If you've not seen the movie and uh, if you want to find that song, it's on the essential capital collection, just look for Judy Garland and you can find that on Spotify or iTunes. Uh, and just listen to it carefully, and hopefully, it's both. Um, it sort of it, it sort of brings together the tragic comic parts that have uh, of her life and of our year and of all of the things. And so, I just want to bring that up today. Well said. All right, good people. That's going to wrap us up for today, Jamie. As always, uh, thank you for your time. Mark, it's been a whale of a year. I look forward to next year with you. Absolutely. And if you're listening along with us, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us this year. Whenever you may have happened to stumble across our podcast, we hope that you will continue uh, to be a part of, uh, of our of our thoughts. And please know that we'd love to hear from you again, whether it's something related to the Bless Their Hearts segment or anything else. Just let us know you're out there. We, we enjoy doing this. Uh, we enjoy doing this for you all and, and, and in concert with you all. We, we're, we're regular folk in many ways and are just walking along this path trying to make sense of life and faith and politics and all of the things. So we're glad that you're here with us and have been along with us uh, on this journey for this year. Um, please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. If you should so choose and leave a ranking if you would like to. Remember that you can find all of our written work on Facebook, Twitter, and at ProgressiveSouthernTheologians.com. Friends, y'all take care. Have a wonderful holiday. Jamie, you take care. Have a wonderful holiday and a restful holiday season to the extent that you can. And we will be back with you all next year and in a few weeks. 